Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and divers' miracles, gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. I want to preach to you for a little while this morning, being the last Sunday of 2013. I'm a very visionary pastor, and um, like for people to do better, like for people to be better, like for people to do more, give more. I don't think anybody here today is capped out. I think we can all be better. So I want to preach to you for a little while today about the ability to be better. The ability to be better. Thank the Lord for his word. Thank you for standing. God bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> the majority of people in our society have a tendency to scoff at New Year's resolutions. Has anybody been thinking about that over the past few days? Primarily, people scoff at them because we find that we have been in that condition before. You know about the condition I'm talking about. It's the one that says, I'm going to change. By willpower and by modifying my behavior, I'm going to change. Things are going to change in my life, and I'm going to be better. Several years ago, the New York Times printed an article about our inability to keep New Year's resolutions. Alan Dushman who wrote the book, Change or Die, discovered that even though most people have the ability to change, he wrote that even though most people have the ability to change, very few do. He said, it's exceptionally hard to make life changes, and our efforts are usually doomed to failure when we try to do it on our own. Research shows that most people who make New Year's resolutions on January the 1st have fallen off the proverbial New Year's resolution wagon by February the 14th. Can't make it two months. This isn't very encouraging news on this last Sunday of December for those of us that are looking for some new and fresh changes for 2014. The New York Times article went on to say that giving us some disconcerting facts about some health issues. Dr. Edward D. Miller, the dean of the medical uh, faculty at John Hopkins University School of Medicine said that more than 70% of coronary artery bypass patients or open heart surgery patients revert to unhealthy eating habits and lack of exercise habits within two years of their operation. Dr. Dean Arnish, the cardiology and diet author, frequently cites a conclusion by a panel of nutritional experts convened by the National Institutes of Health that two-thirds of dieters gain back any lost weight within a year. All of this is pretty discouraging to most of us. However, there is an upside to all of this information. Psychologists and psychoanalysts discovered that there are were people who did change, but they were in a very small minority. And there were some things that they did 
that brought lasting change to their lives. Dr. Duchman gave uh, these people some tips to changing for the better. And they basically fell into four little steps. Number one, as he said and recommended, to start with big changes, not small ones. This strategy is likely to yield immediate and noticeable benefits that would inspire you to change. Number two, he said, act like, and I've taught this for years, but act like the person you're trying to become. Start acting like that person now. Even though you're not that person, start acting like the person you want to be, and sooner or later, you'll become that person. I live that every day of my life. He went on to say that, to give an example, an illustration of, of that statement, that if you hit the jogging trail with an extra 30 pounds, think of yourself as the runner that you want to be, as though that extra 30 pounds isn't there. Number three, he said, instead of seeing the failure of the past, go to the point before that failure, whatever it may be, and look at the success of that former place in your life. I had a unique experience on my computer. It's only happened to me twice in all the years I've used a computer. It happened a week or so ago. Uh, Got a virus on it. And uh, so... I called some people and didn't get any answers, so I called Chris, and he came over, and naturally he fixed it. But what he ended up doing was taking my computer back to a restore point before the virus happened. And so the computer thought, in its little computer mind, that there's never been a virus, so I can function normal. The computer's been fine ever since. And it, it, it showed me this third principle of Changing for the better is if you go back to a place of failure in your life in the past, it'll motivate you to never change because we always think we'll just keep repeating the same failures. What we fail to do is go back to a place in our life where we were successful and determine I'm going to repeat the successes. Everybody say amen. This isn't a pep talk. I'll get to the Word of God in a minute. But I'm just trying to get everybody on a wavelength here. If we can go back to a restore point in our life before all the bad stuff happened, it would be more inspirational for us to want to pursue more successes instead of dwelling on the failures. The fourth thing he said, and this is where where, uh, I want to begin to introduce my thoughts. He said, with this fourth point being the most crucial, he said, you can never change alone. You can't do it just based on your willpower. You must find someone who is a partner that will help you to accomplish the change. I've learned a long time ago in ministry, one of the most important things I've done in addition to my relationship with God is to put people around me that I'm accountable to and people that can pour into my life. I understand there's achievements that I want to make in ministry, in my own personal ministry. I have goals and aspirations and a vision for my own ministry and for this church. But I realized a long time ago I can't make that happen by myself. I need people around me. But first and foremost, if anybody ever wants to change for the better, you will have a difficult time doing it without 
the positive influence and infilling of the Spirit of God in your life. If you need somebody that will help you change for the better, introduce your life, your future, your dreams, and your visions to the Lord Jesus Christ. He will help you be better. He is your ability to be better. Praise the Lord. Everybody clap your hands to the Lord. There was one more piece of advice that the good doctor gave in the New York Times article. He said, don't believe your feelings. Feelings will lie to you every time. So the sooner you realize as a person that you as a person and even your soul does not really have a neutral, the better off you will be. We all have to realize and understand that we are either moving forward in our relationship with God and the development of that relationship or we're moving backwards. There is no neutral. There is no standstill. We all have an inclination. Everybody has an inclination to backsliding. And when someone may suggest this to us, we get defensive and start making all kinds of excuses and then try to justify our spiritual lack. Vance Havner was a... Uh, 1900s Baptist minister uh, whose teachings, sermons has lived on in the hearts and minds of millions. He had this to say about backsliding. Most church members live so far below the standard you would have to backslide to be in fellowship with them. Now that's a hardcore statement, but there's a whole lot of truth in it. And everybody say amen. Woodrow Kroll said he's the president and Bible teacher for the International Back to the Bible Radio and Television Ministry. He said the best way to avoid going downhill is to stay off the slope. Thomas Manton, a 1600s English Puritan clergyman said, if you yield to Satan in his British brogue, he said if you yield to Satan in the least, he will carry you further and further till he has left you under a stupefied and terrified conscience. Stupefied till thou hast lost all thy tenderness. A stone at the top of a hill, he said, when it begins to roll down, ceases not till it comes to the bottom. Thou thinkest it is but yielding a little, and so by degrees are carried on, till thou hast sinned away all thy profession and all principles of conscience by the secret witchery of the devil's temptations. The infamous Charles Spurgeon had this to say about backsliding. The Christian life is very much like climbing a hill of ice. You cannot slide up. You have to cut every step with an ice axe. Only with incessant labor and cutting and chipping can you make any progress. If you want to know how to backslide, leave off going forward. Cease going upward and you will go downward of necessity because you can never stand still. J.C. Ryle said, backsliding generally first begins with neglect of private prayer. Men fall in private long before they fall in public. The Bible has this to say on the subject of going backwards. Paul said to the church in Galatians in chapter 3 verse 1, 
Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? The answer to that question, of course, is no, we're not. In Jeremiah 3, the prophet said, Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, Wherefore let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Peter said in his epistle, Be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions were accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. And finally, Paul said to the church in Thessalonica, he said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on this breastplate of faith and love for an helmet, the hope of salvation. I'm here to proclaim today to Grace Church, I have no desire as a pastor or as a pastor of this church for us to put our forward progress in neutral because the moment we do, we begin a backward progression and it's not healthy for anybody. It's not healthy for you as an individual, your family, our church, and most importantly, our community. We must move forward. We must move forward. People say, well, I'm tired. I'm burnt out. I'm discouraged. There's a lot of affliction in my life. I understand. Believe you me, I understand. But I want to tell you today and present to you today that even in the midst of all of that, the Bible is still asking us to be sober, to be vigilant, because there is an adversary, and he don't respect your burnout or your discouragement or the affliction in your life. He don't want you to be right with God. And for that one reason, reason you and I as a church must move forward into the kingdom and can we be better oh yes we can be better there's a host of other scriptures that we could line up with these that I've just read but suffice it to say that our hearts are idle factories and there needs to be a constant vigilance that we take to move forward toward that celestial city that is waiting on the man who presses on. So with all of this in mind, the writer of Hebrews said, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard lest at any time we should let them slip. We have read a text that comes as a strong warning to all of us, whether you're willing to admit it or not, even if you've received the baptism of the Holy Ghost or not, there will come a time in your life that you will have a tendency to put your relationship with God in neutral. We, will, we have a tendency to say that we don't need to go to the next prayer meeting. 
We don't need to come to Wednesday night pre-service prayer. We don't need to read our Bible today. We don't need to be involved in personal evangelism. We can take a break. We can sit back for a while. But I want to tell you today with everything in me, the kingdom of God presses on us to move forward. Even when there's affliction, even when there's discouragement, even when there's things going on in our lives that aren't pleasant because of our adversary. The Bible said we cannot neglect, we cannot neglect that we ought to give the more earnest to the things which we've heard lest at any time we should let them slip. What warning passages are prominent throughout the book of Hebrews and Hebrews 2 we're warned not to drift in Hebrews 3 and I'll talk about that in a minute Hebrews 3 we're told not to disbelieve in Hebrews 5 we're exhorted not to to degenerate in Hebrews 10 we're urged not to despise in Hebrews 12 we're commanded not to depart the writer is keyed into telling us some things about being careful unless we let things slip he uses an incredible word when he uses the word slip, everybody say slip. In fact, there probably isn't a better word for meaning something of value and priority getting away. We're aware of everyday instances where this sort of thing can take place in our lives. But life surrounding us is full of examples where men desperately guard things. So they will not slip away. Case in point, the Wells Fargo and the Loomis armored cars that carry money. Those people can never let their hair down and take it easy. They are a 100% mark and target for 100% of the time. The quality assurance inspector who carefully analyzes the drugs that are created by pharmaceutical companies. These people cannot afford to put their responsibility into neutral. The vigilant law enforcement agencies, the heightened security devices that monitor our world for terrorist attacks, even those in the world of academia who carefully guard their minds and memory to keep knowledge from slipping away from them. Life steadily pours through the hourglass we have allotted to us, and we can never afford to drift. We may have drifted away from the Lord some in 2013, but I'm here to preach with everything in me. Today could be a new day for all of us, a new opportunity to say, I've had enough of drifting. I'm going to be better. I have the ability to be better because if God be for us, who can be against us? It's easy to drift away from God as a result of the storms that break out into our lives. We all have gone through storms of doubt We've all gone through storms of half-truths. We've all gone through storms of worry and anxiety. We've been through storms of trouble, storms of failure, storms of temptation. Let me introduce to you today the word derelict. 
Derelict as always, we often understand. It means one who has been abandoned or is in the process of lacking a sense of duty. But there's another understanding of the word and that it can have reference to a ship that may have made it safely into the harbor and actually be at the dock. But because it hasn't been secured, because it hasn't been secured, it drifts away and gets back into the open sea and becomes a derelict ship. This is what the writer is really working at in Hebrews chapter 2 when he talks about letting things slip. He's actually saying don't become a derelict ship. There's some of us today that have arrived into the harbor of salvation. We've arrived into the harbor of understanding the love of God. We're in the harbor of understanding the mercy of God. We understand duty and diligence and faithfulness and responsibility. And there's never a time, there's never a moment when we can drift away out of that harbor and become lost in an open sea of discouragement and despair. I want to encourage everybody here this morning with everything I have on the inside. If you prayed good this year, pray better next year. If you serve God good this year, serve God better next year. We have the ability to get better. And if we don't get better, the alternative is not good. I say we can be better. And I believe that God has a far greater purpose for you and I than what we even experienced this year. Man, there are some amazing things happening at this church. There are amazing things that happen in the area of churches around us. I'm, 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 I'm hearing good reports periodically from our area churches, and I rejoice with them. But we, we can't be satisfied with yesterday's news. We can't be satisfied with yesterday's successes. We can't be satisfied with yesterday's mountains. We've got to pursue even more and continue to get better. We are, we are all made up of impulses, desires, and dreams. But over time, there's something in us that has a tendency to just want to start drifting with life. Just go along to get along. And there's people here today, I know you put yourself mentally in that position. I just, if I could just go and just get along and don't challenge me, Pastor. And, you know, there's just certain preferences of things that I'll do and there's other things I'm not interested in doing. I'm saying to you today that our lives could be lived every day fuller and richer with more fulfillment and more hope and more promise if we would lay that attitude aside and say, I'm not going to drift anymore. I'm not going to be satisfied with status quo anymore, but I'm determined as the rapture of the church draws nigh, I'm going to get better. God's going to rapture a better to me, better me tomorrow than he would have today. I'm going to be a better man in prayer. I'm going to be a better man and a husband. I'm going to be a better man as a dad. I'm going to be a better mom, a better mother. I'm going to have a better home. I want a better church, and we can do it. We all have the ability to be better. So what do you do if you want to be better? be honest with you, I'm not sure there's a whole lot more that God can do other than just start hitting us in the head with a ball bat. (laughs) Kind of put it plain. I think there's things that we have to do. The Bible did say 
work out your own soul salvation. It's amazing as Pentecostals. Through the years, I grew up in it, and I know what I'm talking about, and it's going to get kind of icky for a minute. But we can sure help everybody else work out theirs, can't we? If you need help with your relationship with God, come talk to me. I'll tell you everything that's wrong in your life. But when Jesus taught along this line one time and said, go look in the mirror and take care of yourself first, and when you get that process done, then go help your brother with his spirituality. Well, all of a sudden, working out your own soul salvation ain't quite as much fun as helping somebody else with theirs, is it? Y'all don't look at me that way. Now, the lady at the restaurant thought I was 65. Actually, she reversed the numbers. I'm 56 and clinging every day that I can. So for 56 years, this is the environment that I know. And I've heard people say it. I've heard people say it about other people. What so-and-so needs to do is they need to cut out that blah, blah, blah. And if that married couple had cut out that blah, 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 then their marriage would be better in if he had quit doing that, you know, this would be better. And if she had quit doing that, we've done that for everybody for years. But what about you? You know what we do? James summed it up beautifully. We look in the mirror. Yeah, I need to pray more. Yeah, I can do more for the kingdom. Yeah, I can be better. Ah, not today. And you walk away from the mirror and James said, you forget. Everybody said amen. I didn't mean to tone this down so much, man. This is just Sunday morning preaching. Y'all act like you're scared or something. Everybody all right? Everybody say amen. So what do you need to stop doing to be better? What do you need to start doing to be better? Is there some mental habit that's crippling you? I only have one answer for that. If there is one, stop it. Quit it. You ever had somebody, if you were a teenager, you did. I've seen these guys do it to them to each other all the time. It's so annoying. They used to do it to me. And finally, just quit it. It's this constant, hey, man, what's going on, Dad? Hey, you, know, you like that, huh? Isn't that awesome? You ain't out of it either. (laughs) So the response to that is just what they did. Quit it, man. Stop. Kind of getting riled up. We can handle it later if you want. I'm getting too frisky. That might backfire, man. I can't even outrun them no more. (laughs) But if there's something that just keeps nagging you, man, just kind of. You know, all the time, quit it. You have the ability to do that. I'm not going to get too transparent here, but a number of years ago, I had a personal sit-down come-to-Jesus meeting with me, and there were some things about me that I didn't like, and I set out on a long journey, and Sister Murph, can, she can verify the story, and I set out to change it, and with the help of God, I did. I got to where I didn't like me too much. 
And neither did a whole lot of other people. <laughs> oh, you. I'm still working on that. There's a few more that like me, but not as many as I would like. <laughs> you have a nagging sense of self-pity? Have you done that all year long, feeling sorry for yourself? Let me ask you a question. Where's it got you? Huh? Can you be honest? Now, you would tell your neighbor across the aisle if they felt sorry for themselves all the time to bow up and you're going to be all right and God's got this and, you know, you're going to be okay. But you can't tell yourself that. You have a downward drift of impure thoughts, a conflicting sense of jealousy, a numbing sense of worry, this creeping paralysis of fear, of failure. be honest with you, in, in the church world as I know it, I've known of a lot of people that have failed from time to time, including me, but I can only think of a handful that wasn't treated appropriately and they lost their way. By and large, when you fail, there's a support group of people here that will come to your aid and will take you by the hand. And they will help lead you through whatever that failure was. I know what I'm talking about. We only accentuate the cases that didn't come out good. But I know of hundreds that came out great, man. We have the ability to be better. There's some things we can do to make sure that we don't fall into that drift or to that state of going backwards. So first and foremost, you must decide what needs to be better. You need to decide that. That decision can only be made by you. Let me give you an example. If you are critical by nature, if there's anybody here today, I'm not going to call any names, but you have a tendency to be critical of other people. Let me tell you what that is. You, can, you get critical because you're jealous of someone else and what they have or what they do. That jealousy soon leads us to a sense of inferiority. As the inferiority grows, it creates laziness about all of our life. So if you can't do a little, you won't do anything. You just give up, and it breeds this feeling of self-pity. If a man would fix his problem with laziness, it would soon take care of his inferiority. He would soon be accomplishing things that he never dreamed of. The accomplishments would soon open doors for him that would advance him so he would no longer be jealous of his fellow man. Fix the jealousy and you take care of the critical spirit. But you have to decide whatever it is in your life that needs to stop. No one else can do that for you. Second thing you have to do is decide if you want to be better or not. And I believe there's a lot of people here today that really do. You really would like to be a better person, a better Christian, a better husband, a better wife. There may be one or two of these young people up here, I don't know, I'll have to think about it for a minute, that would even like to be a better kid. I was just teasing, that was a joke. I honestly believe all of y'all do. You would like to be a better person. 
People sometimes fall into the Linus trap. That is the one that Charles Schultz put in his Charlie Brown cartoon. It's about Linus wanting to give up his security blanket. The only way that Linus is going to get rid of his security blanket is if he wants to. So whatever you want to do, everybody listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. I'm I'm preaching my life in ministry today. Whatever you want to do, you probably can do it. One of the reasons that people have difficulty stopping things that hurt them is because they are of a divided mind. James in his epistle was right when he said that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Mental division squanders the power of the mind. But to drift is to drift with the devil. Consider the great things you could do with your life if you decided to stop drifting. Now, don't anybody here today that feels super spiritual look at me funny because I'm preaching about your mind. Because the book says, as a man thinketh. The book talks about the renewing of your mind. That's where 99% of our problems are, is that gray matter that's between our ears. And that gray matter matters, believe it or not. And I believe there are some people among us that have become so open-minded about things, your gray matter has fallen out. I also believe there's people that have gotten so narrow-minded you could poke them between the eyes with a straight pin and poke out both eyes. <clears throat> I knew a girl one time, her face was so thin, true story, her face was so thin, her glasses almost had one lens. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> but you have to consider things that you could do with your life if you would decide to stop drifting. Marriage is first and foremost. We drift when we bicker and nag and fight about money, jobs, and kids. And the devil can keep you so busy finding fault with your mate that over the course of time, your marriage is something that is just drifting along. You can choose to be better. Jobs. We drift when we're doing nothing more than just making a living. As one man said at one time, just trying to make ends meet. Millions of people are trapped in this because they just drift and they never develop. You can advance. You can even be promoted. But you have to choose to be better. Money. Oh, my. Most people drift when it comes to their personal finances. You can drift with the devil and never save. And constantly live in fear of poverty. But one day you'll wake up an old man or an old woman and discover that it could have been so different if you would have gotten free with a budget. Choose to be better. Is this a sermon y'all came to hear today or am I way off base? You may not like it, but it sure is applicable. How about the way you think? We drift too We drift far too often into the arena of negative thoughts. Negative thoughts will lead to negative acts. Negative acts will lead you into a terrible condition of the mind and soul. You have to choose to be better. So I'm going to ask you to give me a few minutes here and I'm almost done. But I want to show you what a drifter looks like. Y'all have read along with this on the screen. A drifter will be conspicuous for his lack of confidence. A drifter will never accomplish anything requiring thought or effort. 
A drifter spends all he earns and more too if he can get credit. A drifter will be sick and ailing from some real or imaginary cause and complaining to the high heavens if he experiences any kind of pain. A drifter will have little or no imagination or vision for his life. He has no enthusiasm and initiative to begin anything he is not forced to undertake. He will always take the path of least resistance. A drifter will be ill-tempered and lacking in control of his emotions. A drifter will shy away from people who have accomplished things with their lives. A drifter will have opinions on everything, but have no accurate knowledge of anything specific. A drifter will, won't cooperate with those around him, even on those things, uh, on those who depend on him for food and shelter. A drifter will be narrow-minded and intolerant on all subjects and never open to instructions that might help him. A drifter will expect everything of others, but we willing to give little or nothing in return. A drifter may begin many things, but never complete anything. He will be loud in his condemnation of those who accomplish things. He will never be able to reach decisions on anything if he can avoid it. He will take a lot of things from life as long as he doesn't have to pay for it. He will criticize others who are succeeding in their calling. He will tell a lie rather than admit that he might be wrong. And if he works for others, he will criticize them to their backs and flatter them to their face. It's a drifter. People who were once in a safe harbor. People who once had direction. People who once had vision and hope and ambition for their life. But they decide, I'm going to drift. I'm tired of trying. Life is too hard. The challenges are too hard. I'm just going to live with the status quo. A lot of those people end up terminating even their own life because they can't bear themselves anymore and the burden of their own thinking. I'm here to present to you today, every person in this building has the ability to be better. For if God be for us, if God be for us, if God be for us. Let me ask you today, have you ever known of a time for God to drift? Have you ever known of a time when God said, I'm just going to sit back a while and leave your life in limbo as a result of it? I've never known of one time when God shirked his divine responsibility and accountability when it came to my needs and even my desires. God has always been a Fervent, passionate, dependable, faithful force in my life. And if I want to be better, he is that one that can make me better. But you have to decide that you want to be better. Finally, today in conclusion, you have to make up your mind to be better. If you'll quit drifting and make up your mind to be better, it'll be because you made up your mind to stop it. We have this Pentecostal virus, for lack of a better word. We always say, if God will help me. God will, but it's conditional. My fifth grade teacher said it at least two or three times a day at a Stroom Elementary School. She was Ben Peabody's wife. Ben Peabody that owned the old gas station on Scenic Highway 100 years ago, it seems like. But she always said every day in class, God helps those that. Boy, isn't that funny? We sit on the wayside of life like a beggar, wanting God to just swoop into our life and fix everything, buy everything. 
I've heard people say, God's going to give me a new house. No, he'll empower you to work so you can buy one. God is going to send me my lifelong mate. He will. But you have to put yourself out there appropriately. God. I knew a man one time that prayed and fasted consistently for two or three years that God would give him a red Mercedes Benz with a black convertible top. That is a true story. Now that's new convert ignorance and he didn't know any better. But he soon learned that if you want a red convertible Mercedes Benz, you have to get a job with a salary that's commensurate with the purchase of such vehicle. He had the ability to do that if he had wanted to. But he didn't want it that bad. I've lived all of my life in Pentecost and been pastor here for 20 years. Been pastoring a total of almost 27 now. Been in ministry of 30 years. I've learned some things about Pentecostals. If you'll stand with me this morning, I'm going to lay most of the responsibility at the foot of the pulpit because we've preached to you for years and years and years that God will meet all of your needs. But what we fail to mention is there are some of those needs that God won't help you meet until you try to help meet those needs. Now, a lady sat down at my kitchen table years ago. My wife and kids remember it. It said she prayed for money one time, and a raccoon came out of the woods with several hundred dollars in its mouth and dropped it off at her doorstep. I believe that like I have a bridge somewhere out in Las Vegas that I want to sell you on some waterfront property. I know God can feed Elijah with the ravens, and he can feed you and I with, the rage, with ravens. But I want to tell you today, as long as you have a brain that works and a body that works, you can help yourself, and you can help God help you. And there's people here this morning, and there's more than I care to think about and to even try to mention, and I wouldn't do that anyway. But you, as a Pentecostal, Holy Ghost filled. Woo! Tongue-talking hallelujah. Man, I believe in miracles, and I believe the word of God. But you've accepted a status quo lifestyle. Where your faith really hasn't benefited you that much. Because there's so much more you could do. But we're terrified of spiritual success and what everybody else will think. I came to the conclusion a long time ago that if I was going to be dominated and controlled by peer pressure, I'd just soon give it up, man. But you know, across America today, in our current Christian culture, 1,500 Protestant ministers leave the ministry every month. 72% of all Protestant preachers in America would take another job and quit their church if they could. And I feel like a whole lot of the reason behind that, and this is my opinion, is because people have given up on wanting to be better. There's a sterling example of what I'm talking about here this morning. When we first came to Baker years ago, 
We had what we had, and we didn't have what we didn't have. I made no excuses. To the best of my ability, we had church. I remember preaching my heart out to a woman in our home mission church in Youngstown. One woman on Sunday morning just like this, sitting at my kitchen table, preaching a sermon just like I'm preaching now. God filled her up with the Holy Ghost a couple of weeks later. We can find excuses as to why we can't when there's millions of excuses and reasons as to why we can. I want to be better. But when we came to Baker, love to think about it. Steve Bunch, he was a hilarious kid back then. You could look at Steve and laugh, and some of you remember it. And he came, played the keyboard, taught Casey how to play the keyboard, and taught her not to play the doo-doo cards. That's another story for another time. Boy, that just slid right on by, and we'll let it go. Casey played the keyboard, Marcus played drums, and Brother Dave played the bass. How old were you? Sixteen. And he was the oldest. But we had church with the kids. Brother Alexander, the old traditional man, Baptist upbringing, converted Pentecostal, grew up on hymn books and what have you. He walked up and very fervently said one Sunday morning, and we'll never forget it, was to one of you guys, I don't understand about all that music they're doing, but let them do it because it's their day now. He gave his stamp of approval. The old elder gave us permission, and we moved forward. And here we are today, and we're still moving forward. Last scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 9, the Philistines said this, Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that you be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. So I'm calling on Grace Church here this morning. I want us to get some grit and some tenacity some determination when the enemy comes in like a flood the spirit of the Lord is going to raise up a standard against him I'm glad I have a strong tower in my life and if I want to be better and I make up my mind to be better God will give me that ability and he will give me that power to do that in the concluding moments of this service I'm going to ask everybody to join us around the front just for a few moments I know you're thinking about lunch and I'm trying to hurry in. There's some, there's some individuals here today. There's families here today that you live far too long in your current mindset, convincing yourself on a daily basis, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. There was a man visited this church not too long ago, came to this altar. It's been several months ago. Sobbing and weeping, hands up, tears streaming and weeping almost uncontrollably. I knew what was going on in his life and I walked over, he don't attend this church. I walked over and put my arms around him. I said, you listen to me. Stop the crying. Your life ain't over. He thought it was. But I said, your life isn't over. 
in just the past couple of months. I've watched as he's desired to make himself better. He threw himself back into the will and purpose of God. God started bringing all the pieces back together. A lot of his brokenness now is a memory. A lot of his sadness is just a cherished thought from days gone by because he had a desire to be better, and God empowered him to do it. I know what I'm talking about this morning. If you're tired of the way things are, change the way you think about it. Embrace God as your leader and your God, and he will empower you to be better. I want to ask you to bow your heads for a moment while they're playing softly. Father, today I ask you to step into this room. All of us have things in our past that we desire to never bring up and to never mention. There's hurts, there's abuse, there's affliction, dysfunction. The list goes on and on. And we have a tendency, God, to use the dark things in our life as justification as to why we can't be a better Christian, a better child of God. God, help us to start focusing in on our successes, to focus in on those miracles you brought to our life, to start focusing on those things that you helped provide those things that you did provide. Help us to focus on those miracles of healing. When the doctor said we wouldn't make it and we're still here, help us to think about those times. Help us, God, to understand that there's a power in thought, and your word says so, that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Help us to understand that we can be a better man, a better woman, a better family, a better church, and as a result of it, we can have a better community, and you'll have a better church to rapture. God, I pray that this message will burn down deep in our heart and that you'll help us to understand that we don't have to accept the things of life as they are, but we can move forward. We can dust ourselves off and get up and do like David did and encourage ourselves in the Lord and say you know what if God be for me who can be against me because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world God help us to want to be better would you lift your hands heavenward and let's pray together Casey sing let's pray together I want somebody to reach out to the Lord right now you don't have to accept who you are you don't have to accept what you are. You don't have to accept where you've been. That don't have to dictate the rest of your life. You're in the hands of God that can give you a better future, a better tomorrow. He can give you hope. He can give you promise. It don't end here. It ain't over yet. God's not done with you yet. I know what I'm talking about. It's the way you think that's holding you back. Think better. And let God empower you to be better. We're in the presence of the Lord right now. Somebody invite His will into your life. Somebody invite His purpose into your life. Somebody invite God into your life. Bring Him back into your home. Bring Him with you on your job. Bring God into your bank account. Let God start working for you, man. Change the way you think. You don't have to accept life as it's been lately. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Take the hand of somebody next to you if it's appropriate. Let's pray for one another right now. Everybody pray for one another right now. Father, let the word of God hit its mark. God, let your word hit its mark. God, let the word hit its mark. We can be better. Our youth group can be better. Our Sunday school department can be better. Our praise team can be better. The ushering staff can be better. The trustee board can be better. We can all be better. Our media team can be better. Our musicians can be better. We haven't peaked. It's not over. We haven't done all that we can do. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that we will understand. We'll understand. We'll understand. Hallelujah. 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 Here in your presence. We're undone, oh God, but you can make us better. You can make us better. You can put the pieces of our lives back together. God, speak to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Speak to us, I pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Wow. While they're praying and singing, why don't you go to somebody and let's encourage one another to be better. I'm not going to be judgmental. I'm going to be better. I'm not going to be critical. I'm going to be better. I'm going to think positive and not negative. Go to somebody and shake their hand and hug their neck. Tell them I'm going to be better. You can count on me to be better. Come on, start moving around the building. Start moving around the building. Find somebody. Tell them I'm going to be better. I'm determined. To be better. I'm determined to be better. Hallelujah.